I like that people come here for comic books and they just get anti-capitalist rants after a while. Welcome to Tencent Takes, the show where we date worse dudes than Valerie Bertinelli in a Lifetime movie. My name is Mike Thompson, and I am joined by my co-host, the heartbreakingest heroine herself, Jessica Frazier. I don't want to be a heartbreaker. It just happens that way sometimes. (laughs) I wasn't born bad. I was just made this way. I've told you this off air before, but I'm going to say it on the show now because I think I did accidentally snub a listener. So if you emailed me and you're a listener and you emailed me saying, I love a good windsuit, I thought you were just some person <laughs> sending me a weird, like a bot sending me a weird <laughs> sentence. And so I deleted oh, wow. it until I went back and like re-listened to my own episode at one point and was like, oh... <laughs> that was probably a real person. So probably. I apologize oh. to whomever that was. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, well. My bad. <laughs> oh, well. Well, if you are new to the show, our main episodes drop every other week and provide in-depth looks into interesting moments in comic books and how they tie into pop culture and history. But today is one of our Dollar Bin Discoveries, many episodes that we do in between those deep dives. We spend a lot of time rooting through Dollar Bins at local shops, looking for interesting stuff. And while a lot of the issues that we find are fun and weird, they may not be enough for us to do a deep dive on, but that's just for the moment. We always reserve the right to change our minds and come back to it later on. Each episode features both of us talking about one random issue that we came across in the Dollar Bins, one that fits a theme one of us chose. Tonight is my theme, and so we are talking about unlikely couples. We're going to talk about what the issue is, what goes on inside it, and why it's interesting. Basically, these are mini episodes that are meant to provide you with some weekly content between our more in-depth discussions about the weirder and more interesting moments in comic book history. So, Jessica, who is the unlikeliest of couples that you have come across lately? Well, this week, I'm bringing you Devil's Reign, Weapon Zero and Silver Surfer, Chapter One. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Tell me they're unlikely. <laughs> no, I know, but I I am also bringing us a Top Cow Marvel crossover. Are you fucking serious? Not related to Devil's Reign. So, all right. So go ahead. Tell me all about Silver Surfer and Weapon that's Zero. That's very funny. Oh, my that's gosh. Really funny. That's That's actually really funny. Yeah. Oh, oh, I just looked at yours. That's so funny. I did yeah. not even realize that. Well, <laughs> I, so like, this <laughs> we have a, we have <laughs> we a weird do habit a of lot. doing stuff like this. It's really funny, actually. <laughs> we always do something that oddly has like some crossover with the other one, and folks, we don't. T- we, the surprise in our voice very genuine because we don't <laughs> talk about this ahead of time. <laughs> Uh yeah, like that's the thing is we don't tell each other what we're what we're covering for the dollar bin discoveries. We just give the theme and then kind of run with it. Yeah, every so. once in a while, like I'll double check. Like, do you think this really matches the theme or whatever? If I have a question, but like, yeah. Uh, the the one that I I remember I specifically looked at your notes was the police and comics. Oh, that's that right. Because, because we were I was about like, to have the same one. <laughs> I was about to. I was like. Oh, I'm going to talk about cops, the animated series. And I was like, wait, I gave Jessica this comic. 
I was like, <laughs> I was like hmm. And so I went and looked and I was like, oh, son of a bitch. Okay. Yep, son of a bitch. <laughs> so this was published by Top Cow and Marvel, like you said, in January of 1996. And mm-hmm. hold on to your hats, folks, because there were quite a few people who worked on this comic. Story by yeah. Walter Simonson. Pencils by Billy Tan Mung Koi, Mark Silvestri, and Kirk Van Wormer. I didn't realize it's... that Simonson was involved in this, like, because he's a big name, like, yeah, you know, in terms of storytelling. Like, he's like one of the acclaimed masters who his run on Thor is one that everybody really loves. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. We'll see what you think about his run on this. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> Inks by Detron Rat. And Joy Weems, the fifth, okay. and Billy Tan Mungkoi. Colors by Richard Eisenove, Jonathan D. Smith, and Greg Hammond. Letters by Dennis Heisler. Assists by Victor Yamas. Team Tron was Jose Jag Gian, hmm. Jeff Santos, and Andy Kim, and Viet Trong. Lettering assist by Robin Spehar. Editor was David Wall. Assistant editors were Mike Manxerecht and Mary Buxton. Designed by Peter Steigerwald. Oh, <sighs> God. Goodness gracious. That was a whole paragraph. Yeah, no kidding. We're never getting that time back. <laughs> we really not. <laughs> Ugh. So now, while they aren't a romantic couple per se, I will say that I was surprised by this team up, which is why okay. I chose it. Yes. So we wouldn't that be funny if Silver Surfer was actually like if he just up. suddenly was dating an entire team, he was Polly. <laughs> oh, that'd be so funny. Oh, that actually answers a few questions. I because I'm not familiar with. <laughs> weapon zero so i didn't realize that was the name of their team because there's like one dude who looks like he's the weapon so i was like is he weapon zero is that like what's happening here so i don't know so the funny thing is that you and i were at the harvey doss dollar bin sale last weekend yeah and i found the first four issues of weapon zero and i picked it up i still haven't read it but like stop it yeah that's so funny what a kawinky dink yeah We start with the Silver Surfer looking over the land and noticing that something wasn't quite right. He had spotted a shaft of smoke coming from a place he knew to be deserted. So he comes across an alien vessel, the earth around the craft littered with what looks to be dead scientists. So Surfer flies off, stating that the scientists had gone into another situation they didn't truly understand and had paid the ultimate price. He Hmm. destroys what is left of the craft, leaving the pieces strewn across the desert. We then find out that a mysterious figure had planted those parts in the desert, knowing that Silver Surfer would find them and have to do something with them. The figure then says he was able to tap into Silver Surfer's powers, and piece by piece, he puts the ship back together, sending the poor souls he had borrowed to be the scientist bodies back to wherever hell they were residing in the figure sends the ship into the sky and transports away forming a space-time rift between that and another reality okay so what (laughs) i already have questions and i love this for us go on what part of devil's reign is this 
Like, I does don't it... know because I'm not. I'm not familiar okay. with Devil's Reign. <laughs> it says chapter one. This is chapter oh, okay. one. So, yeah. so this is like the intro to that. All I can tell you about this is the ads that I have seen in the back of other comic books. It is something about Mephisto is trying to like take over the Top Cow universe. So. You're going to yeah. give it away. But, but the whole thing, like this is literally <laughs> all I can tell you is it's like Mephisto and he is drawn by, I think, Mark Silvestri. And then he's got like a globe like in his hand, but the globe has udders. Because it's the top cow Stop earth. Stop it. That's very funny. Yeah, it's very funny. <sighs> I do like that. So the ship arrives in that other reality, as we know, the top cow reality, where there is a panic for the government agents monitoring air traffic. Another team is also in a battle, but it is with a monster rather than a ship. So Weapon Zero is fighting a Tassiri Berserker, a large multi-toothed creature whom they ultimately defeat. During the battle, one of the team members sacrifices himself, the father of team member Lilith, with another of the team members, Jamie, being accused of not really wanting to help and having jumped away when the rest of the team is being like beamed up, meaning that he did All not right. get transported back with the rest of them. But we do All see right. that, that he pops up and slips through a time rift and ends up in, like, L.A. In, mm-hmm. like, the other reality. Right. So we then cut to Nagolf, who's Lord of the Tassiri and her assistant, who are talking about the dimensional rift as they view a spacecraft that has just landed from their, in front of their own craft, right? So all of a sudden, in a full-page spread, as you mentioned, no surprise now, Mephisto shows up, right? Right. And... He immediately does something misogynistic and changes Engulf from her armor to like this little bra armor situation with more gauze than anything else protective. Yeah. He then tells her that they have a guest named Arisha and that Engulf should go get their guest a drink. And like she comes back with like almost against her will comes back with like champagne flutes kind of a thing. Mm hmm. Meanwhile, some of the heroes from Weapon Zero have started disappearing, like literally disappearing in the middle of whatever they're doing. Okay. And then back with the rest of the team, we see that the guy who had previously slipped into time, Jamie, into the time rift, is about to run into some of the characters from this other reality. And that's where this comic ends. Okay. So this was definitely a 90s comic. It's very extreme with an X vibe. Yeah, you don't say. Yeah. Multitudinous muscles and the overly sexualized women. Mm -hmm. It's also very confusing being, you know, like I said, I'm not super familiar with either of the two crossover properties. Right. I've read some Silver Surfer, but I'm not super familiar with him. I did read this comic a couple of times just to like kind of nail down what was happening. And I was able to figure out what was going on, but it wasn't super friendly to me as a reader just jumping in. Yeah, I think for fans of these two properties, it would probably have been really interesting. I did like how the time rift was created. It was a nice way of being able to like mash up the two universes without having to commit to them being in the same timeline like forever. Mm -hmm. And there was also another really interesting choice. The Silver Surfer looked way different than I'm used to seeing him. You could tell he was drawn to match the style of the other characters, I think. Like, that was Hmm. the vibe I got anyway. I could be totally wrong and that he was just kind of drawn like that in the 90s. 
like I said, I'm not a big Silver Surfer consumer in general. Yeah, I so I don't yeah. have a I I don't know what he looked like, but like I read the Silver Surfer in the early 90s, and okay. he was like, it was really interesting because you know he was primarily drawn by Ron Lim at the time, and it was this very stylized kind of like perfect male body, but like. He wasn't completely roided out like a lot of characters were back then. Like yeah. he, he was like, oh, okay, he looks like someone that would actually, you know, be an extreme surfer. Like, you know, like he has that kind of like lithe, muscular body type a lot of the time. Yeah. Give me a half a second. I'm just gonna grab it because it's right here. Yeah, sure. I'll show it to you and you can tell me. Just on the other side of the curtain. <laughs> Oh, yeah, like, so he looks kind of, like, kind of like what they drew him as when it was Ron Lim, but it's a different artist. I'm looking at the cover, too, where, like, the surfboard feels more like a weapon. He's also, like, on the cover, like, way more ripped. Yeah. See, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, like they're they're making him much more of a badass. Look at that bulge right there. Oh Look yeah, at that bulge. Like, they were really overdoing that bulge right there. Yeah, I that was the thing was like I actually really liked Silver Surfer for a while because it was him traveling the cosmos, and sometimes it was like yeah. a big action story, but other times it was like dealing with societal stuff and like another planet. Right. Um. There, there was one where he was trapped in an alien city that stripped him of his powers. And when he finally got flushed out the airlock, he was going to blow up the city or like, you know, possibly bring justice to the corrupt power system. And then he realized that like nothing he could do would really fix it. And so he just leaves. And I was like, oh, that's that's actually really interesting. It's kind of a bummer, but yeah. it's also really good. Yeah, that's fair. So yeah, that's what I've got for you this week. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know, right? What about you? Something else okay. extreme? Yeah. Well, and it's funny because this was one that I picked up at the Harvey Doss dollar bin sale this past weekend. I picked up Witchblade slash Wolverine. This is not to be confused with Wolverine slash Witchblade, which was actually part of the larger Devil's Reign crossover. This is a one shot. <laughs> No, why do they do this every time? This is this is a one-shot cover dated June 2004. It oh. was written by Chris Claremont, of all people. Like, you know, acclaimed X-Men scribe Chris Claremont. Right. Penciled by Eric Basaldus, inked by Sal Regla, Eric Basaldus and Matt Banning, and Jay Leaston. Colored by Beth Sotelo, and lettered by Robin Spehar and Mark Roslin. Oh, and, Robin Spehar shows up in yours as yeah. well. Oh, mine too. Look at that. A little yeah, situation. I didn't really know what to expect going in, but uh, I was especially not expecting the first page, which is <laughs> opening on Wolverine and Sarah Pizzini, a.k.a. Witchblade, getting hitched in Las Vegas at one of those all-night chapels. Your face. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I know my neck like snapped up. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know it's a, a a classy affair because Logan is you know he's wearing his usual jeans, but then he has a tuxedo jacket and shirt. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to tell me it was one of those tuxedo shirts. It, that like, would have been the better, one that honestly. Has the printed on, I know. Yeah. <laughs> 
And then Sarah is in it's uh, it's it's basically it's white lingerie and go go boots. That's, that sounds yeah. right. She's got the veil, and then she's got this like this crop top bustier, and then she's got white. It's like hot pants. Like I don't know how right. else to describe it. It's like booty shorts, and then she has like white go go boots. Sarah is calling Logan Scotty, and like we don't know what the fuck is going on, but the two are ecstatic and. <laughs> And drunk on love or lust. I'm guessing it's lust. And right. as soon as they leave the chapel, they get into the back of a stretch Hummer and they start ripping each other's clothes off in the back seat. But then Wolverine all of a sudden starts screaming and a spike rips out of his chest and leaves this Ooh. big ass hole. And Sarah starts screaming to the driver to go to the hospital. But then the healing factor kicks in and Logan's fine. Where did the spike come from? It was just embedded in him or something. We don't know. Oh, Jesus Christ. There's always something going on with him. One of the mysteries of this comic that is never actually explained, you'll be shocked to hear. Whoa. So the two, like after they like calm down, they find a briefcase that has over a million dollars in it, along with a note wishing them happiness in their new life. Sarah calls Logan Scott again, and this time that really pisses him off. And he's like, that's not my name. And she's like, no, you're, you're Scott. And then he like, flips out he's like that's not my name he pops his claws like he holds them like up to her face and he's like that's not my name Damn. and then it <laughs> immediately cuts to uh a casino bar like and the thing is is that this bar is like on the roof of the casino and it's like 30 stories above ground it's weird okay. it's it's like this casino does not exist really at vegas where there's like <laughs> you know it's it's just there's like no guardrails nothing Oh, nice. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. But it makes for a dramatic image. So, Right. Anyway, in the bar, Sarah is holding the spike that was pulled from Wolverine's chest, which it's obviously part of the Witchblade. Like, it morphs around. And then she has it coat her finger, and then she's using it to scratch out two drawings on the table. First, there's the face of a woman, and second, there is a police badge. Logan comes to the table. He hands Sarah a cell phone and tells her to dial the first number she thinks of. She calls her own answering machine, and then Logan ends up calling the Xavier Institute where he learns he's been missing for three days. And these two calls basically jumpstart their memories, and they start remembering who they are and telling each other who they are. And they realize that the woman who Sarah carved like into the table is a mutant named Kaylee who is also tied to the Witchblade. Huh. So Sarah actually asks, she says, which side of the street do you think she's from, yours or mine? And he says, I think okay. she's from somewhere in the middle, which I thought okay. was kind of a nice little line. Yeah. But yeah. So they sort of then entertain the idea of taking the money and running and just starting a new life together. But then a mobster accompanied by Kaylee interrupts them. The mobster instructs his men to gun down Wolverine. We learn that he is Simon Lebedev and he is in charge of the Odessa Mafia on the West Coast, but he's looking to expand it to New York. And then this is where things like totally stopped making sense. Like they were making a lot of sense before this, but now we're just fully off yeah. the rails. Lebedev starts monologuing. He reveals that Kaylee is the daughter of a federal witness who testified against him. And after he killed her dad, he couldn't kill her because she's a mutant and she was at the Xavier Institute. And then she took the Witchblade from Sarah in order to kill Lebedev and erased both Sarah's and Logan's memories and then gave them money to create a better life for themselves. But for some unexplained reason first of all kaylee never actually talks we never actually hear her talking but second of all she is like unquestioningly following the mobster's orders and we are never told why 
So oh, okay, fascinating. Yeah. Lebedev then has Kaylee try to force Sarah to jump off the bar's ledge and kill herself. Sarah gets on the ledge, but she refuses to jump. Logan, at this point, has recovered and then springs into action, massacring the gangsters. Kaylee then manages to overpower Wolverine, but Sarah intercepts the final blade and basically just reclaims the witch blade like right before it can kill Logan. Wolverine then kills Lebedev, and then we see the aftermath. There's police and paramedics swarming all over the place. Sarah's wearing a badge, but she's still in her bridal lingerie. Logan is still shirtless at this point. And then Logan says Kaylee's in observation at Desert Palms Hospital, and they'll get her back to the Xavier Institute in a day or two, which is wild to me because, like, they're talking about how she was at Xavier's school, and Wolverine, like, never mentions actually knowing her or, like, detailing what her powers are or anything it's so So whatever never find out no we never find out but i will say there is a nice little moment in the last couple of panels where he notes that they still have the limo they still have the million dollar briefcase and they still have the dream of a happy life together sarah notes that they need to face reality but logan says dreams are what make reality worth living and then they hold hands which implies that they still have feelings for one another the end oh (laughs) <laughs> oh, okay wow this is one of that's... the worst things i've ever read i was gonna say that's fucking wild it makes so little sense jessica it's like <laughs> i was wondering like honestly like i don't usually read along when you're doing these but i felt like i needed to read along because i was like this doesn't make any sense no it doesn't it doesn't make any sense it's also it's just incredibly shallow like there's nothing There's no other way to describe it. It is just one of the most shallow books I've ever read. And there's a ton of plot holes. The fact that it was written by Chris Claremont means that Wolverine is being written by someone who knows and understands his character pretty well. Right. And like, I, so there were like a couple of moments that I did like, like I liked that getting called Scott caused him to have a mental break. I thought that was kind of clever. Yeah. Yeah. I like that we got the wistful romantic dreamer Wolverine at the end of the story, but like, Everything else, garbage. Sarah as a character is very non-existent. Like, she is just there to look hot and murder dudes. I still don't understand why Kaylee was following orders from that gangster. Or why all this takes place in Vegas other than maybe, like, the marriage idea, I guess. I don't know. Right. Whatever. Huh. It's it's just nonsense. And honestly, I've never been a huge fan of Claremont's writing. But you can feel how disinterested he was in this book. Like, yeah, I hear it. <laughs> like, I will say the art is is solid, but it's also extremely male gazy in the way that everything Shock. from this era was like, yeah, all the women are there to be eye candy. Sarah Pazzini in particular is a character who is pretty sexualized in general, but this feels like yeah. an egregious example of it. And she never gets out of her bridal outfit, which reveals so much skin. And like, she doesn't actually do anything that's particularly interesting. We never see her being like a good detective, really. We never see her really doing much other than she saves Wolverine at the end from getting stabbed. But like, we don't get a good action sequence for her, really. It's it's a bummer. It I think this is one of those books that could have been something way better if anyone involved had really given a damn. But instead, it just it feels like something that was slapped out to make a buck. And it really bums me out. What a bummer. Yeah. You hate to see it. Yeah. Well, that is our episode today. 
Tune in next week for a deep dive on something. I don't know what it is. We are recording our dollar bin discovery so far in advance at this point. A lot of times we haven't even planned out what we're covering. Yes, I'm proud of us. I know. <laughs> we're being responsible adults, setting up a buffer. Thank God, we're trying so hard. But anyway, so next week we will have a deep dive. And then after that, we will have another dollar bin discovery. And until then, stay safe out there and we will see you in the stacks. Thanks for listening to Tencent Takes. Accessibility is important to us, so text transcriptions of each of our published episodes can be found on our website. This episode was hosted by Jessica Frazier and Mike Thompson, written by Mike Thompson and edited by Jessica Frazier. Our intro theme was written and performed by Jared Emerson Johnson of Bay Area Sound. Our credits and transition music is Pursuit of Life by Evan McDonald and was purchased with a standard license from Premium Beat. Our banner graphics were designed by Sarah Frank, who you can find at lookmomdraws.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, ask us questions, or tell us about how we got something wrong, please head over to tencenttakes.com or shoot an email to tencenttakes at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter, or now. The official podcast account is tencenttakes, all one word. Jessica is Jessica Witha, and Jessica spelled with a K, and Mike is Van Sau, V-A-N-S-A-U. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, Blue Sky, and Hive. A full list of our socials will be listed in the show notes. You can also send us mail now. We are at P.O. Box 940 in Pengrove, California, 94951. And Pengrove is spelled P-E-N-N-G-R-O-V-E. Send us stuff. (laughs) If you'd like to support us, be sure to download, rate, and review wherever you listen. Stay safe out there. And support your local comic shop. <laughs>